Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audible.com slash haveadrink. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your device. Also, by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Today's episode is weird. Instead of talking about a single drink, we thought we'd highlight some of the most expensive drinks in the world. People like lists, right? That's what the internet has taught me, so here are ours. Come in and have a drink. Have a drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Ely Walker. I'm Justin Fraser. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm eating egg rolls. Oh. You say he's quesadilla, Price. I'd love an egg roll. <laughs> so Casey, rolls, I, guess. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it only yeah. works for Casey to lead us then because he's he's on the road uh, coming to us mobily. Hmm. What, a, yeah, what have you been early. up to? I said lead us in our first... In our first hymn, <laughs> oh show, where are the quesadillas? <laughs> yeah, so I'm in Atlanta right now. It's a fun little town, nice southern town as it is. Um, had a little bit of fun earlier this week. When uh, you know, I'm here for business, but I'm not all business, right? <laughs> he's here for you know, he's he's the mullet, the mullet of trips. He's here for business, <laughs> but he's also here to party. <laughs> you got that right. Uh, uh, headed over to the Sweetwater Brewing Company Ooh. this week. Sweetwater, keep on brewing. I want to drink. I will never so, not hear that. No, uh, you told us about because I was asking. Casey's been playing Mule this whole time as well. Because it's like, oh, could you bring me back some <laughs> of this? Oh, what about that? But uh, about that. oh, oh, sorry, that Mule, not not government Mule. And no, I was not like, government. Really? So okay. that's an odd choice for him. So I'll let Casey say what it was he got to try on draft at Sweetwater. And I was like, I've never heard of this. And then it was hours after he told me he had it that they finally announced they had even made it and that it was on draft and only available there. So he had it before they'd even publicly announced it. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. That's kind of funny, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had a New England IBA from, from Sweetwater. They had it out at their brewery uh, pub. So it was only about a year ago that actually they were allowed to serve beer on tours at their brewery, I think. Um, not too long ago, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, sorry, first off, apologies for the sound quality. I'm on a pair of headphones that have a built-in speaker this week because my computer died. <laughs> so I'm literally on, on an iPhone with a pair of Bluetooth headphones. <laughs> so um, I went over to the, the Sweetwater Brewery this week, first thing this week, because um, apparently the first day... I was weird with my schedule. Uh, apparently, b 
booked when I shouldn't have booked. Uh, I was <laughs> uh, like a day early for everything. It was weird. Oh. I don't know. But um, it worked out well in the end for, for everything that we do. Um, so I went over to Sweetwater Brewery. Amazing tour, first off. If you have the opportunity to go, please. Um, it is, I think, 11 bucks. Uh, it's 8 to $11. If you go with the $11 tour, you get a free take-home glass that's exclusive to that tour. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's so, not yeah, that bad because I need more glasses, but I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a pine class, so, you know, no no problems there. Um, nice frosted design, too. Just really high quality. But on tap at the brewery, they had a couple things that they call, I think, their hatchery series. Hmm. And the hatchery yeah. series are a small batch. Their tanks are humongous. So you think about the size of the tanks at... Um, like New Belgium or Sierra Nevada, and they're probably on par with some of those tank sizes. Oh, wow. wow. Good for them. Yeah, like uh, 13,000, it was either 13,000 or 19,000 gallons, I think I remember being um, some of the larger tanks that they had. I'm sure they're doing the the, the big name beers, um, big easy I, uh, session IPA and things like that there. 420. But, um, sorry, not big easy, that's totally different. That's a yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a... <laughs> The 420 is uh, what you're... 420, 420 is probably done in those. Um, there's a couple other beers that they do that are uh, pretty popular, and so um, they they probably do those in there. But uh, we watched, in the tour, we watched them putting together their sampler pack. No. Oh. And so the way they do the sampler pack is they have five beers that are standard, everyday beers for the brewery, and then they have one beer that's different every season. Um, and for that seasonal beer, what they do is they take the most popular hatchery season and they put it into the six pack. So they just recently, like you said, Chris, just recently announced that New England IPA. Well, apparently I was having it before I even knew it was released at that time. Um, (laughs) and that beer, if it's very popular, may end up in the multi-pack that they send out and you can buy on store shelves throughout the nation how was it uh really good it wasn't as juicy as you would expect some juicy north northeastern ipas to be but it was good for a for a georgian example it was pretty good <laughs> um it was tasty it was a little bit uh, it wasn't astringency but it was kind of like astringency if you get what i'm saying okay, okay. Um, and I get it from all these New England IPAs for the most part. There's a couple, very few that that don't do it just like that. Um, like the uh, the I didn't get out of the Alchemist, the, you know, the the quintessential mm-hmm. example that New England IPA. But I did, you know, most other New England IPAs I get it. But um, highly recommend it. Um, an amazing brewery tour. You should definitely go. And when you go, it's a lot of fun to kind of listen to some of the banter. Um, I got called out a couple times on the tour because they were, like, asking questions that people like us would normally know the answer <laughs> to. And, they, and, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I know the answer. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to just sit back there. And then they ask a question like, okay, who's had our? And then uh, at that time, I think it was the name of beer that's probably in their, their sampler pack. And right, they're like, right. who's had it? And I was the only one who raised my hand. He was like. The, the tour guy was really snarky. I liked it, actually. He was like, oh, yeah, I figured you had. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you yeah. should have talked to us out afterwards and went, look, uh, here's my coaster. 
Uh, we have, <laughs> we have a podcast, sir. Uh, have you seen my coaster? <laughs> um, so it was fun. Uh, I really, again, highly recommend it. it. It's a lot of fun here. That, and that sounds good. And I was at what was voted last year the highest ranked beer bar in the state of Georgia, Ooh. which is called I don't know the the, the Porter beer bar or something i don't know the port or something it's over in five points a uh, little five points here in in atlanta but i was able to go over there and have a few really good drinks uh i had the uh pot pot kettle something pot calls kettle i don't know chris you know it probably we talked about pot it. calls the kettle sour uh something like that i don't know i don't think it's Anyways. the actual name of it but that would be the name i would call it mm, right <laughs> that that's that should be beer um I think it is. I think we were talking about it during our episode for uh, maybe some of the Scandinavian beers. But either yeah, way, yeah. Um, I had that. But then I also had, and this is a shout out to some of those patrons in our uh, Discord chat. I also had the Widow Jane Ooh. that yeah. we had talked about, and it's pretty good. I'm a little afraid, actually, to say yeah, that. But pretty, it was pretty good. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> pretty good. And, and yeah, and, and that's not a bad inflection to put on it because it is a, a New York bourbon. Whoa, whoa, so, yeah. whoa. It's not a thing. Not a thing. That's not real. It can be a very fine whiskey. Know, they can make a fine whiskey. A damn fine whiskey. It's not a bourbon. Aren't some cherry <laughs> notes to it? Really smooth. No bite. It was an eight-year-old that didn't really taste like an eight-year-old. Hmm. I don't know. I kind of want a bottle of it. But it's a whiskey, not a bourbon. <laughs> okay, okay. I okay. mean, technically it's a bourbon, that. but let's be we're, serious. We're picking nits. We're picking yeah, nits. Yeah. It, it is actually legally a bourbon. It's mm. just we are in Kentucky, so no. <laughs> to us, it yeah. is not. So, so we're, we're in Kentucky. We don't have a lot of things we can be snobby yeah. about, but this. <laughs> it's just like, give us the bourbon, okay? That's all we have. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, other than that, uh, Justin, what uh, what have you been up to? So I've not I've it, this is like crunch time at work for me. So I have not had like I've gotten home and like gone to bed mm. at the end of most days. But mm. I had one day where I did sit down. It's a beer, and I had it cracked open a beer. It's one we've had a lot. But you ever just have it when you've had like a really long day and it's practically a religious experience? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I cracked open a, a can of Citra Ass Down from oh. Uh, oh, Against, against the, grain. the Grain, and uh, yeah, it was uh, mm, uh, <laughs> so good. But uh, yeah, no, it, it it just hit. Yeah, I was making sure that I timed that appropriately <laughs> for the Twitch. I assumed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was really what I needed that day. Uh, that and to watch the finale of Hell's Kitchen. We're a couple weeks behind. Mm. But uh look, it's my one guilty pleasure of of yeah. reality shows. I don't watch any others, but I like watching Gordon Ramsay yell at people. <laughs> yeah. So I'll spare uh I'll spare you all a long detailed story of uh, us and our local beer escapades, but we did make it out to Bockfest last night. Uh, we do have a uh, quick video that's up. You can go check that out. Yes, yeah, so it is up here on our, on our uh, Twitch channel. So if anybody's interested of the in that. opening also... ceremonies and the blessing of the Bach beer and the Bach verse. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, for those who aren't following, uh, if you're on Instagram, we did the live stream from the Instagram uh, account last night. Because the Twitch app did not want to cooperate. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to Instagram with that. But no, uh, we're going to start trying to do more things from festivals like that to kind of yeah. take you guys along with us on that. But it's really fun, and I'm, we didn't know it until this year that that's this is the biggest Bach Fest in the world is here in Cincinnati, Ohio. So it's something to really embrace, and we've got to get the other two of you down here for it, or up here for it, <laughs> next year. Man, I, I just completely forgot when when Bachfest was, or I kind of would have gone, you know what, yeah, let's let's go to this. Let's. It was really let's... fun. The, the food was awesome. The, 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 the great part about it was, so I, I don't know if they specifically timed it for this, but, um, well, I guess it would have, because it had something to do with Lent. So, um, yes. there was a, uh, Saint, whatever the hell, um, place there and fish fry, giant pieces of fish for this mm. fish fry. And we were just like, yep, this is great. Well, no, that's one of the <laughs> legends, uh, real quick to enter, to put it in there with Lent and Bach. So that's one of the legends about, uh, where Bach beer came from is that the monks brewed a beer and they they took it to the Pope to be like, Hey, we want to be able to have our beer during Lent. Again, this is a legend. And so they brewed a beer specifically to present to the Pope, but it kind of soured on the way there. And that's why your doppelbox are going to have kind of a sour note to him. But he took one big swig of it and looked at him and said, yeah, if you can drink that, uh, you can drink it all Lent long. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, all right, just don't travel it to Rome. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was fun. Uh, the food was great. It was, we, it was the first time we'd ever seen um, the Goat. current... Uh, well, the goats were nice too. Oh, the goats! Um, yes, the, the whole parade. They had actual is, goats there and a sheep. The parade—it <laughs> was a goat. It just had not been sheared. Oh, okay, okay. Um, the parade is led by a goat pulling mm-hmm. the inaugural keg of Bach beer. Yeah, um, and everybody's dressed in monk robes and stuff. But uh, but no, the um, it was the first time we got to see the uh, current Christian Moorline Tap House. Um, so like not the restaurant because there's two different locations. Yeah. Uh, and it was awesome. It looks really good in there. Yeah, uh, the uh, tap is room is the, literally the old malt room from like the 1800s of not the Christian Moorline Brewery, but it was a different brewery in Cincinnati from that time. But you're sitting in this like historic, you know, kind of lagering cellar drinking beer and it feels awesome down there. Yeah. So that that was fun. Um, we, we, we went with uh, a couple of friends of ours, uh, one of whom uh, usually in the chat for Reviking. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it, it worked out really well. I'd highly recommend anybody going to it, but, uh, get there early. Yeah. Just like we tend to do for Oktoberfest. Uh, the downside there to this early. is that, um, parking is, uh, an issue. Cause it's in historic over the Rhine, but, uh, also oh, over there, God. I was approached yeah. by two different gentlemen Yes, that I, <laughs> I am harassed by these people. I can't go anywhere publicly. Say, they're, 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 the Cincinnati beard barons, like, uh, Oh. It was so funny, and the, the uh, to, and the guy that the second guy that approached you, um, the best mustache, just the fantastic I mean, mustache, this handlebar mustache that's just waxed and twirled to perfection, and it was just good job. I <laughs> uh, just love that that you know again it's going to go on Chris's tombstone, local Northern Kentucky celebrity, <laughs> beard man with beard. So yeah. no, uh, we'll get off of me for right after this but uh pat who is one of our friends uh messaged me 
with I can't remember how he found it of some app that he was digging back through that he hadn't used in forever from high school or I guess it wasn't an app then it would have been a website apps weren't really a thing back then <laughs> oh, I'm old. but anyway it was basically this was pre Chuck Norris jokes and they had basically made this list of that style of jokes about me being this legendary mountain man figure. <laughs> okay. Get us all mountain glades. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. So that that's enough about me. Uh, what about the podcast announcements? Yes. Announcements. Uh, so next episode is going to be next Saturday, March 10th. 9 p.m. Eastern Time, live covering Distillation. Mm. <laughs> That's another uh, the Casey heavy episode. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, science. Uh, yes. A Casey heavy, perfectly legal, he did nothing wrong kind of episode. So, so we need we need the weird science theme to kind of oh, start, or at yeah. least like a sounder no, no, no. that's just weird. Science. Get your Bill Nye pants on. <laughs> oh, okay. Either way, you know, we got to find something. Uh, Except instead of saying. Uh, uh, you know, whatever it's going to be. Chug, 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 chug. <laughs> Instead of Bill, Bill, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so um, we mentioned at the top of the show, Patreon. If you are a patron of Have a Drink, we will be doing our first ever quarterly hangout with the patrons. Um, the That's going to be for the $5 patrons, actually. March um, 11th. It's going to be, a, that's a Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and of course, we'll post that in the Discord and uh, the other like patron places. And yes, stuff. So it'll, we'll be doing it in the bar, which is the patron-only channel of. Hopefully, the... we can do it in there. It depends on um, my awesome computer, <laughs> which means it's not awesome. But uh, during this hangout, we are planning. We will say uh, some sort of get together. Yeah, and the patrons will have a say in where that is going to take place. Finally, trying to keep mentioning this as often as we can. So uh, we're, we're happy to join the Diamond Club team in the year-round Extra Life campaign to support the Children's Miracle Network. So uh, if you hmm. donate to our page and help us help the team reach the $10,000 goal, um, that would be awesome. Uh, you can go visit bit.ly slash H-A-D Extra Life. Had Extra Life. All lowercase because bit.ly is case sensitive. All right. Uh, All right. I think we're ready for a bit of news. Some news? News. Uh. All right, guys. So we've got another shifting around of CEOs. Uh, Uinta CEO has left the company. Parting ways to go to the main beer company. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, Friend of the show, Tyler. You got got a West Coaster coming out there. So, after nearly three years at the helm of Uinta Brewing Company, Steve Mills has departed the Utah-based craft brewery for a smaller operation on the East Coast. Mills has been named the CEO of Maine Beer Company, which is best known for producing hop-forward ales packaged in 16.9-ounce glass bottles with white labels. They are, like, minimalistic. That's very specific. No, that, that describes the bottle. They're extremely minimalist, and usually if there is any kind of, like, artwork... It's like very stick figurey or uh, just a quick dot smiley face. Yeah. So uh, speaking to Brewbound, David Kleben, who co-founded Main Beer Company with his brother Dan, said the decision to hire a CEO with industry experience was born out of a need to professionalize the business. Uh, we've grown from six peak six people and three thousand barrels to thirty five people, and we'll be producing about eighteen thousand barrels this year. 
Uh, it's not something we anticipated. We're not professional managers, uh, and we admit it. Mills brings That's a good thing to see in, in a company <laughs> going. Yeah, look, we're not like we may not be great on this side. We should probably get someone who's yeah. They're acknowledging it, and I've got to say, Mills brings more than twenty years of industry experience to Main Beer Company. Uh, prior to joining uh, Uinta in twenty fifteen, he worked with uh, Duval Mort. I can never say it, Casey Mort Morgat. I don't. Um, all you <laughs> <laughs> and boulevard brewing company uh i'm thrilled to be joining main beer company mills wrote to Brewbound. uh i've known david and dan since almost the beginning they had such awesome visions for what they wanted uh main beer to be people focused exceptional quality and supporting one percent uh for the planet and look at what they've built uh, it's all about doing what's right i'm looking forward to contributing wherever i can uh, Mills is the latest notable departure from you into brewing last June. Longtime VP of sales, Steve left the company to launch a craft distillery. And I'm not even going to try just moving on from that last name. <laughs> uh, he was launching a craft distillery in the San Diego region around the same time. Lindsay Burke, who had served as the company's chief branding officer and marketing director, left to join fast growing Lord Hobo Brewing as its VP of marketing. What a name. So they've been kind of like hemorrhaging some top-level staff out of Uinta, which is upsetting because I like a lot of what they do, and I I love their marketing because they have this big, strong tie, kind of like with Long Trail to the uh, national parks. Uh, in a conversation with Brewbrand Uinta, CMO Jeremy Reganis, who joined the company in mid-2016, said he was surprised when Mills informed the company of his departure earlier this month. Uh, we are sad to lose him, but he's been a great team member and leader at Uinta Brewing Company, and we wish him the best. Uh, Uinta has not yet identified a replacement. So, nah. yeah. Oh, I did. Uh, here, here we go. The, the big news out of this. Riverside, the Riverside Company, a private equity firm that owns a majority stake in the brewery, has already tapped a recruiting firm to begin a formal search. So I was not aware Uinta was owned by a private equity firm. Hmm. That makes sense. I don't remember that either. Because, I mean, a trip to the uh, brewery, like we were able to uh, do when we landed in Salt Lake, uh, it is pretty fancy in there compared to a lot of other tap rooms and breweries. Yeah, especially out... uh out that way there are some uh some tap rooms in that general area that aren't aren't as good well utah just isn't it's not a beer friendly yes that's what i was getting at yeah (laughs) um but yeah i mean this this should this promises to be kind of kind of interesting i guess uh uenta is gonna have to find you know, someone new to, to helm everything, but Maine getting, you know, this guy pro- promises to be a pretty good, pretty good grab for them. Yes, yeah. and I'm equally excited because we've started getting some of Maine, uh, some of their stuff into our network. So I can occasionally find bottles up at Jungle Gems. So big, uh, big props there. I'll love to see more of more of their stuff. So yeah. it's a it's a sad it's... story, but a good story. It's a hard step to make from where they are now to what Uinta's doing 
Uinta has a hard road forward to do anything more than what they're doing right now. <sighs> yeah, and they're, it, it said here uh, they're hoping this year to cross the 100,000 barrel threshold. So they're hoping to keep, you know, the unprecedented growth going this year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who, yeah, unprecedented growth continuing to happen is, uh, you know, it's a nice dream. Hmm. Mm. I didn't realize also that we're matching the Uinta gear. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, everyone with it is apparently, I didn't, I'm not wearing my Uinta shirt, I feel. Oh, I didn't realize Brittany was wearing her, her <laughs> shirt. I didn't see it till just now. Uh, Uinta also planning to expand their distribution footprint to all 50 states this year. Oh, that's awesome. Ooh. Currently sold in 45 states. Huh. All right. So That's kind of impressive, actually. I didn't realize they were that wide. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, yeah. That's pretty surprising. And that, I mean, I've, all, I've seen their stuff around and not thought about it. That's never, like, hard to find it. Uh, so that's uh, news. If you want a little more news, you can check out the news show. We have plenty of it in there. But... I think we actually have some untapped. Get riggedy, riggedy, Start things out. We've got uh, the Founders Badge. Solid gold. Not the dancers. <laughs> Not the dancers. The premium lock. Not I the still premium didn't know that was dancers. a thing. Uh, I know. Okay. Well, ready to challenge your perceptions of a previous of a premium logger? Founders Brewing Company's latest release, Solid Gold, aims to do just that. Uh, this premium logger brewed only with the highest quality ingredients comes from four uh, comes in at four point four percent ABV and is available year round. Uh, enjoy this classic style, uh, and you will be handsomely rewarded. I feel like Solid Gold needs to be said like Billy D. Williams. Let's give it a try. Gold. Check in to one. Solid gold from <laughs> Founders Brewing during uh, the month of March, and you'll unlock challenge uh, challenging what a premium lager can be badge. Wait, I did not get that badge. We just drank one of those earlier. I got it. Oh, How wait. did you not get it? Did you not check into it? I was like, maybe I didn't check in. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I didn't check in. Maybe that's important. Okay, check in. Couldn't hurt. Yeah, it was actually a decent. Beer. It's just a. It's a beer ass beer as we were expecting it to be. It's know? a lager. It's, it's just a premium lager. That's a. It's a lawn mowing beer. Mm. You know. Um, and a beer you can mow the lawn and not lose a foot with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like hopefully. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, this one's kind of different. It's the Untapped Seven City Tour. So seven cities, seven days, many beers. Untapped is hitting the road this April hosting seven parties in seven different cities throughout the United States. Uh, want one of those cities to be yours? All you have to do is check in any beer at your favorite verified venue during the month of March. We will choose the verified venue with the most unique check-ins from each of the top seven cities at the end of the month and announce the winners on April 2nd. Untapped co-founder Greg Avola um, will then head to the winning cities and host an awesome untapped party at the winning venues complete with exclusive swag, prizes, and, of course, great beer. Want to see a live look at the top cities during the contest? There's a link. Uh, we will supply that, of course. Uh, now is the time to get your favorite verified venue and check in. If you don't have a favorite, you can find one at this link. <laughs> uh, be sure to tell your friends to check in, too. <laughs> I was going to say, don't have a favorite venue? Go out. Get drunk. Find one. Yeah. Don't have a friend? Go out. Get drunk. Find one. Find one. Uh, so just to note, I'm not... Oh, I was going to say I'm not surprised by this at all, but I actually am now. Because uh, I was just glancing at like the first two. Yeah. The top ten cities currently um, 
New York. Duh. Duh. Chicago. Kind of a duh, also. Number three is Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> well, haven't we done well? Yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I have a feeling Bachfest might be playing into that because it's currently it may going help. on. It may help. Um, number four I mean, is Madison, Wisconsin. It's a big beer town anyway, so. It is, yeah. I, I, but I, I, we just don't get on lists. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> don't we? We're also number th- the number three beer city in the country right now. I, I just, it's still weird. I don't know why. Uh, so number four is Madison, Wisconsin. Number five, Charlotte, North Carolina. Number six, Raleigh, North Carolina. And number seven is Rochester, New York. Uh, and then, yeah, so that's, oh, that's the top seven. Um, just So following just below those, Portland, Oregon, St. Louis, Missouri, and San Diego, California. So those are, like, not quite in that, that range. That'd be awesome. If they came here, I'd be really intrigued about, like, which venue it'd be. Oh, we'll, we'll be going, and I have a feeling it will be Arnold's. Oh. If they show up, at, oh, the, the longest operating bar in Cincinnati that operated all through Prohibition as a speakeasy. I know, oh. but it's like so busy. <laughs> it's like so busy. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, but that's cool. So yeah, everyone, uh, go out and if you want to try and get uh, have a big sponsored party from Untapped in your town. Go check in at Verified Venues. That's all you got to do. And then they'll come to the whatever Verified Venue has the most check-ins in your town. Yeah. Just just no go way, to one. No way I can No way I can do that by myself. <laughs> well, I don't I mean, get out of the house to start with, let alone. <laughs> you know people. Just go to the Hopcat. <laughs> Hopcat. Spend all your time down at Hopcat. I, I'm actually really thinking about going down there for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> I need you? me some fries. Oh, crack fries. Oh, man. Don't blame you. All right. Let's take this time to thank our amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash have a drink show for supporting this podcast. But also like, also like to thank audible.com. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial uh, to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I've got a recommendation finally, and I had to sneak it in before the movie actually comes out. So my recommendation is going to be uh, Ernest Klein's Ready Player One. This Aww. the audiobook <laughs> is read by Will Wheaton. And it is absolutely Which is the best part, really. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, it's. I don't think it's really a spoiler alert because I don't think he's going to play a part in the movie. But in the book, uh, it is stated that he's the vice president. So uh, <laughs> that's, because that's... in this, it's a dystopian, not too far off future. It's twenty forty five. Twenty forty five. Yeah. And uh, Earth is going through some bad changes. Overpopulate, like the population is exploded. Everyone's Alphys living. Was right. Yeah, everyone's living in hovels in the sky, and there are power shortages, uh, but everyone's escaping into VR. And this VR world created by uh, Halliday, James Halliday, who uh, passes away at the beginning of the book, and he leaves everything he had. He was the richest man in the world, and has put it all in an Easter egg hidden somewhere in the Oasis. And whoever finds it gets all this stuff. So there are going to be some key differences between the book and the movie, and a lot of people have already seen this in the trailers and are very upset. But to be honest, the book, if you did a, a straight trans like translation, would be a garbage movie. It would not be worth it. Would, you wouldn't want to watch it. It'd be terrible because uh, the characters are described as not attractive people. Like it goes out of its way to make sure you know these are it- ugly people. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing that that did kind of bug me when they they did the uh, thing for the trailer. I'm like, yeah, he's too pretty. Yeah, like, like he that's needs to one be of the more overweight. Like I really latched onto and the thing. It's like, no, he's like, you know, one of us. Yeah, yeah, but the whole We're thing. Not the beautiful people. We're <laughs> and that's the whole thing of the Oasis. You get to be one. Yeah, 
with yeah. your avatar, but that's so it's a it's a world because everyone's trying to crack this Easter egg. And Halliday was raised in the nineteen eighties and was obsessed, obviously, with the culture of that time. So the world has become obsessed in after his passing with the nineteen eighties of people trying to crack these Easter eggs. And so everything is just throwback references to the 80s, and it's all glorious in the book. Especially but it, 80s ghost, video games and movies. Yes. It's like Ghostbusters abound. Yeah. Yes. That, that just yeah, kind of tops it off. So if, if you existed during the 80s or want to know more about the 80s, you should go give that, give that book a whirl over at Audible, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, to download your free Audible book. Today, go to audibletrial.com slash have a drink. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash have a drink for your free audiobook. And let's get into yep. this topic. Fear not that drunk. Seeking bastards. Fear not that drunk. Fear not that drunk. Fear not that drunk. I mean, give me a minute. Oh, Lord, I'm going to be. I, um, every time an episode comes up, I'm like, ah, oh, I should have picked a different sounder for that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> to no. Match considering, the... I, considering I just recently switched beers over, you picked the right one. I don't know. It, it could have been, well, haven't you done well? Could have been. Could have been. But that's but, one of ours, really. <laughs> um, so, uh, today we're talking about uh, expensive drinks. Uh, white people rich drinks. Um <laughs> Unnecessarily, exclusively white people drinks, but you get the joke if you're in the Diamond Club. But if not, I said rich, you get the joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, almost everyone who sells something has a top price option for one of their products. Some special reserve or specially crafted product that they charge uh, they charge extra for because it's because of its perceived quality or its rarity. Uh, the uh, the world of drinks is no different. Uh, in fact, it may be among the more outrageous uh, worlds for that. Um, for an item meant to be consumed, the specialty versions of some products are far beyond what the regular consumer will probably uh, probably buy. Beers made in space. <laughs> wine from makers who have centuries of experience. Spirits filtered through diamonds. A lot of these sound like marketing gimmicks, and they are. Uh, but it does make you curious about what the effect it has on the final product. Uh, and with an experience as subjective as drinking and taste, that might the, you know, that might be all the difference you need. Uh, there is a market for everyone, even those willing to spend a little bit more on products. You collectors, uh, the aficionados, or your enthusiasts probably spend more uh, than most people spend on groceries to find that special hard-to-find bottle of their favorite stuff. This so is... we decided to make some lists of a few of these and highlight those options uh, that you should seek out if you have the means. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, there are a couple different reasons why, like you touched on a little bit there, there are a couple different reasons why a, a, a drink or anything really is expensive. Number one, it's really good and that that has a lot to do with how it's made and a lot to do with with what goes into it but number two it's rare which means it's just really hard to find you find this with pappy van winkle you know years ago it was easy to find a pappy van winkle bottle nowadays it's not hard it's not easy to find and so it gets more and more expensive because it's rare 
Number three is it contains expensive ingredients or it's a very expensive process to make it. And so that's one of the reasons that you'll actually see that some of these products are um, fairly expensive. Um, and then the last one is it just is <laughs> because of marketing or because of some reason that that the, the company wants to say this is just expensive and it's exclusive and, and you're cool and, and in the in club because of it. They just say it, it's just expensive and that just is what it is. Uh, I would argue a couple of those points in the sense of uh, quality because just because it's expensive doesn't mean that it's good. And, yep. uh, but uh, because like, you know, you can find good quality at most prices, but the, the, most of it's a marketing thing. Um, sure. And, and quality and expense should not be construed as being the same thing. Um, at some point, it might start out at being um, the same thing because, you know, one of those points is it's good. That's, that's the reason it's, it's expensive is because it's good. But no matter what you're looking at, whether it's a wine that costs three grand because it's kind of hard to find those grapes and it's kind of hard to find that bottle and it's kind of hard to find what you're looking for and it's also a really good bottle and it's a really good year and there's a little bit of spin and marketing in there. Most of the things that we're going to talk about are a combination of all of these different ingredients that kind of make expense. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's uh, move on into a list of beer drinks that are some of the more expensive ones that you could possibly find, or maybe not even find anymore. It's a good place to start. Uh, Starting off, we've got uh, Sapporo, who made uh, Sapporo's Space Barley. Sure. Yeah. On December 3rd, 2009, Sapporo Brewing Limited... Uh, from Tokyo, Japan, launched a launched the sale of the world's uh, pardon world's first beer produced using malt, made a hundred percent from space barley. <laughs> the progenies of uh, space flight barley seeds. Uh, the limited offer was exclusive to internet sales and residents of Japan, and proceeds went to charity. Only two hundred and fifty customers were selected from a lottery to purchase the new Sapporo space barley. Uh, they rocketed barley seeds to the ISS, the International Space Station, and planted them aboard the Zvezda space module and spent five months uh, in orbit. The fourth generation of barley was brought back to Earth where Japanese brewer Sapporo uh, fermented it into the world's first beer. It was sold for around $110 per six-pack. Holy crap. So I imagine they weren't able to source all the barley from that. And it just had to, like the beer had to include the barley that was cultivated in space. Uh, well, like I said, they only made, they only made enough to sell to, uh, 200 and, uh, was it 250. I'm just trying to find the spot here again. Uh, yeah, yeah 250 customers. So I'd say probably the, no, it's actually made 100% from Space Barley. Oh, well, all right. Uh, it cost. also came in at about 5.5% ABV. This is the lowest end of alcohol on this spectrum, and that is a kind of a trend in beer, though. The higher the alcohol, the more they're going to charge you for it, generally. Not yeah. 100% of the time, but yeah, that makes generally. Sense. $110 a six-pack. Who? I, you know, 
I don't care where oh, the I'm... barley came from. That's ridiculous to me. Well, th- this was stuff to to also fund charities. Yeah, but, I, and, then when that, and, and that's fine, you know. Also, I mean, come on. Don't you want to say, I drank space beer? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, uh, I, don't I don't think know. we have room to talk. We've paid more for less. <laughs> well, less, um, less actual liquid, not a lesser yeah. liquid. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is also uh, Nail Brewing Antarctic Nail Ale. Uh, this comes in at around 10% ABV, so we're moving up. Oh, yeah. Uh, not made from animals. This pale ale was made for animals. <laughs> what? <laughs> not exactly, but it was concocted by Nail Brewing in Perth, Australia. 100% of the prof- uh, profits go to the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Oh, okay. Apparently, that's the Whale Wars people. Yeah. Ah, okay, yes. Yeah, they had a show on Discovery for a little while. The Sea Shepherds landed a helicopter uh, on an Ar- a- Antarctic iceberg, dug up some ice, melted it in Tasmania, and flew it to Perth for brewing. Only 30 bottles were made, and the first sold at auction for $800. Uh, the only thing special about it is that it's ice from Antarctica, right? Yes. So, like, it's stupid clean water, I guess? I wouldn't... It's probably not even stupid clean. Like, I mean, so what's the... I mean, I don't... Who cares? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a gimmick, and it's for making... Yes. It, it's for charity raising, I think. Right. The, all, the the cha- all the charity ones are just like, okay, That's fine. That's it. The cost of having to fly out to Antarctica and get ice does sort of equate, like, you know... We did a, we did some work to get your ingredients, so yeah. That's, well, it's like the space thing, you know. It, it's like okay, yeah. well done, I guess. This the next one on the list does not require some ridiculous distance to travel to make, and it's less money. Uh, less money than the last one, more money than the first one because we have true, true. You, you, you utopias. Uh, America's most expensive beer. Sam Adams decided to make a product uh, that is almost more like a wine than a beer. Uh, Released every two years, each batch is aged in sherry, brandy, cognac, bourbon, and scotch casks for up to 18 years. Uh, They even throw a little something extra with some maple syrup in there. Uh, You can taste every bit of it. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? You can taste every bit of it. Uh, it comes from an impressively designed bottle that just screams decadence. Uh, all told, it costs around $150 or more. Because how much did we pay for it? Uh, 200 like, The 200? suggested retail price is uh, like 199 Yeah. Uh, that This this may be a little old from the article. It's probably just gone up. Yeah, uh, uh, that's why I was like, it says $150. Like, I'm pretty sure we paid 200 when we had to pay for ours. Yeah, yeah 200 plus tax. Um. Anyway, that's how much it is for one bottle. Although I can say from personal experience, it's delicious. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's only released uh, once every two years, and it just came out in 2017. So you're going to have to wait until 2019 before it is available again. And they only, do not release on, a lot. Yeah, I was going to say only on odd years. Yeah, it's... Uh, so if you want to see how our tasting of that went... Uh, <laughs> It's on. Yeah, pay- yeah, become a patron. It is on a special Patreon-only feed. Um, but yeah, it basically we were like, you know, if you're splitting it, 
it's kind of worth the money, I have to say. 28% ABV. <laughs> Let's just yeah, 28% ABV. Thank you. I forgot to mention A little that. bit goes a long way. Yeah, it's a good... It, it's like sipping on a good scotch or... or um, so bourbon. you'll pay... You'll pay that sort of price for a port. Right. And it's got a very similar taste profile to a port. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I could, I could totally see that. It's special because... And we talked about this again... It, it's got a special process, which makes it a little bit more difficult to make. So it, it's more expensive on that end, which is kind of okay because it, it, it tastes pretty good, too. Yeah, it's it spe- the special process and the scarcity of, of, of yeah. you know, the, the fact that it's like every once in a, you know, in a while. Because it does start as a beer, uh, as a sour called uh, Cosmic Mother Funk Grand Crew. It is a sour that well, Sam Adams offers that it's part of it. Exactly, it's a blend yeah. of yeah. some very rare beers. Plus the the fact that it's twenty twenty eight percent is hard to get with a regular yeast, and so they've had to do a lot of of scientific engineering to try to get it to that point. Yeah, but it is uh, again. Go check out like we do a whole episode uh, about this beer where that's in depth. It's like an hour long of just us going on about it and trying it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh the start of my fall into darkness that that New Year's (laughs) Day. Um, We also have next up, uh, cranking it up a little bit more on that ABV scale, uh, The End of History. What a great name for that. (laughs) Uh, 55% ABV. It's more alcohol than anything else. I mean... Oh, Lord! Yeah, that's... I mean, at that point, would you just, like, taste rubbing alcohol... Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I've not had it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's described as with the beer to end all beers. The gang at Brewdog hmm. mistakenly ah. thought the end of history would end the ABV arms race. Nay, nay. Nay, nay. <laughs> uh, at, <laughs> at 110 proof uh, and a staggering $765. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, it is the third strongest and second most expensive beer on the planet. Oh my god! Uh, the uh, the blonde Belgian ale. Think about that. Hmm. This is a blonde Belgian ale oh, that man. is fifty five percent ABV. Uh, was mixed with nettles and juniper berries from uh, the Scottish Highlands. And then freeze distilled multiple times. Uh, only twelve bottles exist, and each is made out of a taxidermied road uh, out of taxidermied roadkill. <laughs> the actual hell. Seven weasels or stoats, four squirrels, and one hare. Uh, <laughs> the person who wrote this uh, article says, "I like to think of them as fuzzy koozies." So you will. That is the weirdest thing I've ever. You will heard. see pictures of these bottles. Uh, they, yes. they love like BuzzFeed and all these places. If anyone's talking about weird drinks, they always in like the main picture include pictures of this beer because it is it's literally a squirrel with like turned up and the neck of the bottles coming out of its mouth. I have to look this up. <laughs> it is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it. Oh Bert, my you god! You can use uh, the links up in the top of this. In the <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is here. Oh my god! 
Oh yeah, I found it. Okay. <laughs> you gotta put them up there. That's. Oh. They're great. I love them. I I I drink all kinds of stuff out out of that. No, oh, yeah, that's infinite reuse. You're just gonna keep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we've also got uh, the my la- the last entry on this list. The most expensive uh, beer. The the highest ABV. Okay. Most expensive beer on this list is uh, actually that um, uh, 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 nail brewing uh, Antarctic okay. ale. Mm. Uh, Antarctic nail ale. This one is Schulscherbrau. Schulscherbach. Okay, so I'm See, not Brittany, the only ones with you, other words. Y- yeah. Uh, 57. Uh, anyway, ABV is 57.8. Five percent uh, released in 2011. This beer, who I'm, what, I'm not going to try to say again. You yeah. got, you got one trance. Yeah, we, we got. Uh, it. it claims to be the strongest beer in the world, according to master uh, brewer uh, George Sessenhauer. Sessenhauer, maybe. I, I'm not sure. Uh, a higher proof beer would violate Germany's 500 year old. 500-year-old German purity law. I'm just now seeing the pic in the, uh, on the show. I the just found the picture. End of the world. <laughs> yes. It is. That is glorious. I told you, it's just a squirrel, and his mouth is open. The that, stout one is great. That is messed up. <laughs> oh, my Oh, my God. It's... Oh. This is not the beer we're talking about. This no, is the end of the world, is the image we're seeing here, but... Yeah, sure, I'd drink that. Uh, I'd drink out of that. I mean, why not? I'm kind of messed up anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the Schorschenbrauer only made uh, 36 bottles. Each carries a price tag of around uh, 200 pounds. Uh, I believe that is... Oh, crap, I closed out the tab that had my pounds, uh, too. I think that one's euros, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is euros. That's $246. Yeah, I was going to say it should be... Yeah. Um, anyway, the tasters say the 115-proof Bach is smoky, nutty, and with hints of raisins and obviously alcohol. <laughs> hints of alcohol. <laughs> and straight tussin. <laughs> God, it may yeah, be. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I'd want some of these higher-end beers because at that point, I'd rather just drink whiskey. Right, like it's just it, it's a weird territory to be in, I guess. I I, I get the idea for brew dogs is there is like all right, because there's we're just stopping weird. this right now. Yeah, theirs was throwing everything out the window and going no, <laughs> and then someone else went, oh yeah, you could make that. Well, I'm gonna make this. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> that's um, how that goes. But yeah, that's 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 how the beer list goes. All right, so when it comes to spirits, um. I decided to break my list into two different lists for a reason. So uh, the first list I'm going to do, I did mine as uh, top fours. Mm -hmm. And this is most expensive spirits. And this is uh, focused mainly on the liquid in the bottle. Although when you get up there to these price ranges, they just start making the bottles up anyway to be special things. But I made another category that is, it's clearly because of the bottle. It's, it has very little to do with what's inside the bottle. So our first one here, uh, or number four, is uh, Nuns Island Galway Distilleries 20-year-old uh, pure pot still whiskey. 
So uh, I'll save the price. I'll end this. Uh, Ireland's Galway Distillery closed its doors for good in 1908, well over a hundred years ago. This whiskey was distilled in the 1800s and is known uh, as being one of the smoothest, tastiest whiskeys in existence. Part of the reason this Irish whiskey is so expensive is because there are no known unopened bottles left. Oh. So a bottle of this uh, 20-year-old pure pot steel whiskey, which is, if you find a bottle unopened, would go, well, go at auction, but they estimate this price. Uh, probably go around two hundred thousand dollars. So just uh, just a little, <laughs> just a little bit. All right, mm-hmm. I would love to try it, but no known unopened bottles. So that means there are opened bottles. Places. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, I mean, if it closed down a hundred years ago, <laughs> somebody better have saved some of well, that. Well, the problem with an unopened bottle is you don't know that it's actually the product that was in there to begin with yes yeah and so somebody could come and be a you know some bar that wanted the the fraud you could say oh yeah this is this is exactly that great whiskey and uh we're going to go ahead and serve it to you right now it's only two thousand dollars a glass and it's you know bushmills or something (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh number three you have the dalmore 62 uh, it is produced from a blend of four single malt whiskeys. Uh, each of the four whiskeys was from different years. There were only 12 bottles filled of Delmore 62 Highland Malt Scotch in 1942 with unique names and labels. Uh, Matheson was named after Alexander Matheson, the owner of the Delmore estate, and is the most expensive in the collection. Uh, White and McKay... Uh, own another bottle, and the remaining ten are captive of a private collection. Of course they are. <laughs> a bottle of the 62 single Highland malt scotch was purchased in 2005 anonymously for $58,000 and finished by the buyer and his five friends then and there at the bar. I wish I had enough money to do that. Seriously. So, Just uh, to be like, you give that here. All right, boys. Let's. It's essentially like let's piss on the Mona Lisa. Yeah, and they drank it all right then and there. But that's. Uh, I gotta say, if I had that kind of money, I'd probably do the same thing. Hmm. But uh, again, that was not one of the more expensive bottles in this collection. Uh, I believe the Matheson is valued at over two hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> okay, so number two, uh, the McCollin M, six liter in La... I can never say it. It's the name of a crystal company. La Lique. So, uh, the McCollin M Imperial, six liter La Lique decanter. You heard that right. Six liter decanter. <laughs> Sold at auction in Hong Kong. For, this is the U.S. amount, uh, $628,000 in January 2014, breaking the previous record of $460,000, which was also held by the McCollin in Lalique, Sierra Perdue? Sierra Perdue. Yeah, either way, they owned it for another decanter. So, uh... David Cox of uh, the McCollin said uh, to achieve this record for a second time is an outstanding achievement for the McCollin and is a testament 
to the appetite for such exceptional and special creations with our long-standing partner, Lalique M. Imperial, is the largest decanter Lalique has ever made and the largest the McCollin has ever filled. It truly showcases uh, the combined talents of one of the world's great designers, uh, Fabian Baron, the finest of crystal makers and makers of one of the world's greatest spirits, the McCollin. Uh, Lalique created four M decanters, each requiring the work of 17 craftsmen and 50 hours to complete. That's just the decanters. One of the four, uh, of the four, two have been archived by McCollin, and one has been committed to a private collector in Asia, the fourth, named Constantine, and sold to an anonymous buyer is the only one to feature the engraved autographs of the three principal creators. Uh, Constantine was presented at an auction of finest and rarest wines, and the Macaulay by Sotheby's in Hong Kong uh, on Saturday 18th, January 2014. All net sale proceeds have been donated to local charities in Hong Kong. Hmm. Well, at least that part's nice. It's crazy when you look at that decanter, like, look up pictures of it. Things huge. Big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. All right. So, our most expensive when it comes generally to the liquid uh, is going to be the Mendes Coconut Brandy. Mendes Coconut Brandy is a 100% all-natural clear brandy distilled from the essence of coconut flour. It is matured for a minimum of two years and Hamelia wood casks. Mendes has a subtle taste of coconut, I would expect it to, <laughs> with a velvety <laughs> sweet texture and unmatched smoothness. The product can be experienced neat or on the rocks and offers limitless options for mixing as a clear spirit. Uh, it sounds great, doesn't it? it sound great? No. What's going to set you back $1.3 million? Uh, I don't want it anyway. So. If you would like a Jeez. bottle. That's a bit much. It's a bit much. And there is nothing special about the bottle that I could find. It like you are, that is for the liquid in there. <laughs> that is for it's the coconut a, it's brandy. In a, it's in a jug with like three X's on it. <laughs> That's what I was like. That's what I want, but no. No, it is like a it's a minimalist kind of bottle. Mm-hmm. Alright, so let's let's up the numbers here a bit. So now we're gonna get into some crazy bottles. The the top four most expensive bottles of spirits. These are generally you're paying for the bottle or Something else to do with it, not quite what's inside. So number four, Diva Vodka. This is for another Scottish uh, Scottish beverage. So Diva is made from premium English grain vodka and seven times filtered to give a smooth and pure taste. Each bottle holds a hand-filled wand <laughs> containing a unique collection of Swarovski, Swarovski elements, which can be easily removed as keepsakes all... These precious gemstones are your keepsakes for the special occasion. Currently available in three beautiful colors, blue, green, and pink, comprised of, uh, uh, yeah, the, they're just colored stones, uh, capri blue, sapphire, emeralds, and... Peridot. And fuchsia, yeah. Um, wow, Swarovski, kind of the biggest name in crystal. Yeah. So if you okay, go look sure. those up, it's just literally a glass tube in the middle of uh, in the middle of the vodka filled with the stones. Uh, that's going to set you back a million dollars. Good lord, paying for paying for gems at that point. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. 
So, uh, number three, you have Henry. Oh, Henry. Yeah, the. Dudonyon? Dudonyon Heritage Cognac Grande Champagne. 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 This cognac bottle has been called DNA of Cognac, the essence of the water of life. Hmm. Uh, Water of life is whiskey. Known as the most expensive in the world. Not quite anymore. Uh, Filled with 100, is that centiliters? No idea. Sure. Uh, CL? Ultra Premium Cognac Grande Champagne. (laughs) I'm just going to mispronounce it since I'm going to do it anyway. Hmm. (laughs) Aged in barrels for more than 100 years to produce an alcohol content of 41%. And we just talked about some beers higher than that. I said, I've got beer that can beat that. Come on, step up your game, Cognac. <laughs> Fernando Altamirano, owner of uh, Cognac and... <laughs> is the brain behind the world's most expensive liqueur bottles since 1996. He has three Guinness World Records in recognition of his talent and work. It's it's also a painter and writer hmm. uh, by investing on art plus object created by these artists. You will get a masterpiece. So only one bottle per edition. So worldwide, the, there are a couple editions because they're kind of pop culture. Uh, I've got a link. We'll have to include it. So there are a couple of them. There is uh, a tribute to Dubai was one of them. Uh, and they all come in at different prices. So I think, uh, Four million euros is the price generally. Uh, There's a tribute to Michael Jackson. uh, The tribute to Princess Diana. Oh my god, I gotta show these. Hold on. This is the Uh, Princess Diana one. So wait, they they make one when really famous people die? They... uh, I don't know. Uh, So the Princess Diana one, if you're showing that one. uh, On the 20th anniversary of Princess Diana's death, uh, Fernando uh, decided to create this design as a tribute to the Lady, Lady Diana... Uh, this bottle, made of 18 karat white gold, has is inlaid with 1,500 high-quality diamonds, 1,300 sapphires, 1,300 rubies, and filled with 100 centiliters of ultra-premium cognac. Those bottles nope. are nuts. Look at the Michael Jackson one. So, yes, uh, the Michael Jackson, which was done on the 8th anniversary of his death. <laughs> this one... The Michael uh, Jackson one looks better than the Princess Diana one. Made of 18 karat black gold, uh, inlaid with 4,100 high-quality diamonds. What's this top one? Oh, this is the Dubai. The Dubai, uh, made of 18 karat yellow gold, has inlaid with 1,500 high-quality diamonds, 1,300 sapphires, and 1,300 emeralds. Filled with the same liquid. Again, your decanters changed. That is it. There's way too much money to be spending on these. That's insane. Not you personally. I'm saying whoever buys them. Yeah. Holy All right. Crap. <laughs> so let's let's up these prices a little more. Uh, those uh, U.S. dollars are like 2.7 million for the cheapest of those. I would imagine. Uh, and there's only one of each, so you're not getting one. <laughs> So number two on our list, uh, Pasión Azteca Platinum Liqueur, <laughs> bottled by tequila. That's just liquor. Tequila Lay. So the most expensive tequila in the world, uh, Pasión Azteca, is priced the way the way it is because of the extremely fancy bottle, purportedly containing four-year-old aged Enoya tequila. Enejo. Uh, sure. <laughs> The platinum and white gold bottle. Platinum and white gold bottle is adorned with 6,400 diamonds, 
we'd recommend springing for the fancy organic limes. Oh, wait, this bottle looks almost just like the freaking... It's from the same company. What's it? Okay. That company just makes really overpriced liquor. As I said, uh... this is why I did two different lists. Because this is more about the bottles. Pretty effing sweet, though, when you see that bottle. It's just a bottle of tequila. (laughs) It's a pretty awesome bottle. No, I don't like them. (laughs) No, sir, I don't like it. No, sir. Don't like it. All right, uh, so let's let's top off this spirits with the most expensive spirit in the world. The D- Spoilers, Amal- I just saw the, the price tag, and I'm already incredulous. <laughs> the D'Amalfi uh, Limoncello Supreme, bottle designed by Stuart Hughes of Liverpool, UK. Uh, the, the, invented by Antica Distilleria Russo from Italy. The bottle itself is home not only to a beautiful liqueur, it also houses at the neck three single-cut flawless diamonds totaling 13 carats. The body contains one of the world's rarest diamonds, a mammoth rare single-cut at 18.5 carats, truly the most stunning gemstone. Only one other, there are only two of these that exist, (laughs) is to be made. I don't think the other one's been made yet. They're like uh, when someone decides they're going to buy one. They'll make it. Uh, liqueur of the old tradition of... Liquor. Oh, yeah. Liquor. Yeah. It's all liquor, guys. None of this is cheap liqueur. <laughs> I mean... Or expensive liqueur. Uh, made by infusion of alcohol peels... Uh, alcohol of peels of lemons from the stunning, famous Amalfi Coast. Uh, so, you, here's a little what's in the bottle. So, the smells. Uh, you're going to get some aromatic smells that it expressed completely the wonderful fragrance of this unique fruit so your taste uh clear taste like these it, what's it describing water it's, <laughs> i don't know it's gonna so. taste like lemons it's gonna be clear it's like lemonade <laughs> i don't it confirms the characteristic smell uh visual appearance yellow With all right greenish reflections takes the characteristics of the essential oils present in the lemon peels. Therefore, any possible sediment in it indicates only the naturalness of the product. Uh... (laughs) There are only two known bottles. Uh, It was commissioned by an anonymous Italian client who purchased one. There's still one more. So get your checkbook ready. It was it was brewed by Queen Elizabeth the first during her, her wild, wild years and then <laughs> grave robbing space mushrooms. Well, you know the rest. So uh, all that is known because you have to go to this maker to get it made for you. you or if you want the guy. second one, because there's only one more bottle to be made. The first one was made for fifty eight point eight million dollars. My goodness. <laughs> lord this episode is just making me like sick i don't know <laughs> we should have had monocles i know <laughs> monocles and top hats all um, right well let's let's see if anything else is going to top this oh probably not um so wine <sighs> okay so the most expensive wines in the world um i kind of did a, a similar thing uh, in separating the lists, I've got top five of each. I'm doing so the wines that currently exist, and then the wines, most expensive wines sold, like ever in the history of wine, I guess. The first one on the list of the most expensive wines in the world, and I've got all the words this time uh, Domaine de la Romanie Conti. Sure. Sounds uh, pretty good. Romanie Conti Grand Cru, 
uh, Burgund from Burgundy, France. Um, the average price per bottle, $14,527. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, Too much. So uh, wines from the DRC stable have an excellent track record for growth and over the past 10 to 15 years have been the best performing wines from Burgundy. The Burgundy 150 index is up um, over the past 15 years and has proven to be be the most consistent wine index across the period. The second wine on the list, Egon Mueller. Uh, No, it's Spangler. Spangler. (laughs) Close, but Spangler. Uh, See, uh, Schartzhofberger Riesling. Attorneys Uh, at law. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Trockenbierenauslace. Trockenbierenauslis. Trockenbier are not going to work here anymore. Germany. (laughs) $10,080. Since the 1900s, the slopes of the Schartzhofberger have been well known for the quality of their wine, but it was the Mueller family that affirmed the estate's reputation for producing some of the best white wines in the world with an unrivaled ability to produce great sweet wines in years when other estates fail. So, um, which already just sounds kind of hoity, really. Third on the list is Domaine Leroy, uh, Musigny Grand Cru, uh, Cote de Nuits, France. I obviously don't speak French, guys. I'm really sorry. Um, $7,000 or $7,174 average price per bottle. It's widely noted that, uh, Madame Leroy makes her best wines in Musigny. And the sense of exclusivity surrounding the wines makes the price palatable for those consumers wealthy enough to consider buying them. Production levels for Musigny are estimated to be as low as 600 to 700 bottles per year. I mean, if you're selling them for $7,000 yeah, $7, a pop. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, a lot that's of like them are from 49, the same... Yeah, that's, sorry, I was saying, that's like 4900 Yeah, you, you're doing okay, I guess. Yeah, uh, and of course, like the majority of these, France. Um, <laughs> so uh, the fourth on the list, Domaine Lefleve. That's wrong. Uh, <laughs> Montrachet Grand Cru uh, from Cote de Baun, 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 uh, France. Six thousand forty-six dollars. The holdings represent some of the most precious. Jesus, Terroir, Terriers. How do you say that? Terrio. Um, in the world of Chardonnay, including the legendary Grand Cru Vineyard, um, Les Montrachets, uh, which will, most will agree produces the greatest white burgundy. Uh, production levels are minuscule, given that there are only 0.0821 hectares of Les Montrachets. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, so, like, the theme here is, like, scarcity. <laughs> yeah scarcity and like crazy grapes i guess um finally on this list uh domaine georges and christophe romier uh musigny grand cru uh cote de nuits france six thousand fifty eight dollars it says over the years the romier family has purchased pockets of various grand cru vineyards and now boasts five in total the star of the show is musigny uh produced on a micro level with only 350 to 380 bottles per year on average. So the smallest of the uh, the making of things. Sure. Um, okay, so the words just keep on coming on this other 
uh, list here. Um, so on the ones that were just like the most expensive ever sold uh, for wine. So we've got the 1947 vintage of Chateau Cheval Blanc. Sold for $304,375. Nope. Uh, The record for most expensive single bottle of wine ever goes to this uh, imperial-sized bottle, which is the equivalent to six liters of this 1947 vintage. Uh, Despite being a very hot vintage, it's considered by many to be the finest wine of the century. Uh, This famed St. Emilian wine was purchased in 2010 by a private collector at a Christie's auction in Geneva for 192 uh, British pounds, which of course is the... 92,000. No, that's the only two zeros. They use oh, commas. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, price per glass, $7,609. <laughs> so, <Per> glass. <laughs> it is described by many to be the finest wine of the century. Many. How, like, how many bottles of this were there? I don't know. See that, like, that, that doesn't give those now. details, unfortunately. Um, here's what I would. Here's what I would say. No. <laughs> yeah. It's too much to spend. You're crazy. Like wine. Yeah. Um, this next one is Heidseek. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's the 1907 vintage, so even older. Two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. So an older vintage, but was actually less money than the other ones sold for. Uh, so it's basically a really old bottle of champagne it says um salvage from a shipwreck i can go into i can go into the champagne region of france right now with a drill (laughs) i could probably strike champagne Eh. our new show taught us anything last week right right uh in 1998 about 2,000 bottles of 1907 heidesik were found aboard a swedish shipwrecked off the coast of (laughs) finland the ship had initially been des- destined for the imperial court of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia when it was sunk by a German submarine in 1916 during World War One. Despite really the, fact- the true, the true cost of war. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <It's> wine. Um, <clears throat> despite the fact that thousands of bottles were recovered, some sold for as much as two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, which is fifty-five thousand dollars per glass. I just point out that how many people, how many Russian soldiers were starving and under underfed, and they're like. The but, czar needs his wine. Yeah, but this Make wine, sure though, it gets to yeah. him. That's insane. Um, no wonder they overthrew them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, next, we have the, the Chateau Lafitte, uh, 1869 vintage. So they just keep getting older, really. Um, this they one, tend to. <laughs> this one was $230,000. Oh. Uh, it ranks as the most expensive standard bottle of wine ever sold. But most more remarkably, the sale was for a triplet. Uh, a single collector purchased three bottles of this, uh, a first-growth Bordeaux, for a total of six hundred ninety thousand dollars, or two hundred thirty dollars or thirty thousand each. Uh, he may have overpaid because um, the wines were initially speculated to go for sixty thousand dollars each. <laughs> um, so didn't even get like the 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 you know bulk discount there. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> wow. So with what he paid, it's at forty six thousand dollars each uh, glass. So that's they were not valued at that, and it, no, it is he priced as such part. because the really rich dude decided to spend way too much money on it. As as happens, yeah. I think this whole list doesn't exi- doesn't exist unless really rich dude decides to spend way too much money on it. Yeah, fact. Yeah. 
I mean, isn't that the way most lists are made? Yeah. Rich dudes decide to spend way too much money on things. It's Pretty like the, the somebody buys like somebody's underwear for like whatever the and you're like, okay. Only in Japan. Have, people have too much Only money. In Japan. <laughs> Not even in uh, next we have the Margot, I'm gonna say. Question mark. Uh seventeen eighty seven vintage. Uh, this bottle was technically never sold. The prize paid, in fact, was a 1989 insurance payout to a wine merchant mm. who bought the bottle to the Four Seasons in New York, only to have it dropped by a server. It was one of the oh. famed... Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. That hurts. Oh. Um, so uh, it was one of the famed Thomas Jefferson bottles, which were signed... <laughs> <laughs> with the initials THJ, but never actually authenticated as part of Jefferson's oh personal collection. My... <laughs> oh, <laughs> that server has a story. Oh, my God. They wouldn't be alive if I had been the owner of that bottle. That was a uh, $225,000. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Nothing brings me as much joy as, you know, just going, it's like, Bring me that. You that, boy. He drops it. Oops. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Do you think before he dropped it, he held the bottle up and just poured it out in front of them and then, (laughs) like, slowly, and then just, like, let it slip from his hand, looks at them all menacingly? Oops. Slipped right (laughs) out of my hand. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. That's his name. Uh, De Quem? Chateau De Quem. Sure. Uh, 1811 Vintage. So, actually going back up in years, actually. Uh, This is not the fifth most expensive wine sale. Uh, The honor goes to uh, the Lafitte 1787. But it holds the distinction as the most expensive bottle of white wine ever sold. One of the only ten bottles of this vintage offered by the iconic Southerness producer. Uh, It was purchased by restaurateur Christian Vanek from the Antique Wine Company in 2011. His intention was to display it behind bulletproof glass in his Indonesian wine bar, presumably to keep another rare Dayquim company. Uh, Venick had previously purchased a bottle of the 1787 vintage for $100,000. The 1811 won't be there for much longer because Venick reputedly plans to open the bottle this year to celebrate his 50th year as a sommelier. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that cost $117,000, $9,000 per glass, per two-ounce glass, they might, they make sure to specify. Um, you know, it's it's rare an episode gets under my skin like this one has, <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, finally, this is an honorable mention on this list. By the This is all from vinepair.com, which is like, okay, this... It's a it's a popular like wine website. So I've got to um, see the label for this next one. Honorable mention: Screaming Eagle Cabernet Sauvignon. It's not nearly as amazing. 1992 as I hope. vintage. Uh, the most expensive bottle of wine ever sold was, ironically, a fairly young wine: the 92 Cabernet Sauvignon from Cult, California producer Screaming Eagle. The reason. It doesn't top the list is that the imperial-sized bottle was not traditionally bought and sold. It was a charitable buy at the 2000 Napa Valley Wine Auction. You can actually purchase a standard-sized bottle of this wine for yourself for a mere $4,000 to $7,200, a fraction of what the bidder paid of $500,000. 
No, no. Uh, currently, here's, here's... if you follow the link, it's going for nine to ten thousand oh, plus geez. tax. Here's my question, Chris. <laughs> why was if it's called Screaming Eagle? Why isn't it like an eagle? Flying through the American flag straight at you and that's the most. That's why I said I had to see this bottle, and they kept saying it was an ironic thing. I was like, I'm going to go to this, and it is going to be like Hulk Hogan on the front of this. And like, no, if you yeah. just look at this, you, I'm a real American starts playing or something. <laughs> no, no, it's boring. That's not the case. It's very it's a dumb name. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, you've got the screaming eagle. That's that's like the um the most recent trend on reddit the the swole eagle that's oh, yeah. Kind of yeah. showing with the america first bourbon yep yeah you got it so moving on from wines and spirits and uh beers to cocktails kind of that combination of them all yeah. now i'll go ahead and tell you that there are some examples of the cocktail being quite expensive that I've put in at the very top end, but we're not going to focus on those. Those are the cocktails that have very expensive accoutrement, if you will, Um, additional components that aren't necessarily alcohol-related, but we're specifically going to talk about just the alcohol-related cocktails. So first off, you've got the Billionaire's Margarita at the London Bar from New York City. So why is this one so expensive? It features the super luxe spirit, like the limited edition Patron en la Lique Cire One. Uh, it's a very old Remy Martin, Louis the Thirteenth, also in there with some lime and Meyer lemon juice and a dash of Cara Cara bitters. Uh, definitely a sipper, not a shooter. I would hope not. <laughs> Coming in at twelve hundred dollars a glass. You've also got the Platinum Passion at $1,500 a glass. It's one of New York City's most expensive drinks. Uh, Sort of the diamond in the rough among many pricey and wonderful cocktails. Surely, right? Introduced on Valentine's Day in 2005, this drink is served at Duvet, a bed-themed bar. Of course, right? If you're going to call it Duvet, you have to make it a bed-themed bar. means you can drink this luxurious cocktail in what is already one of the world's most luxurious places. Your bed. So what's in a clearly you've not passion? seen my bed. <laughs> not my bed. Not nearly so enough. In... Bre- There's not nearly enough breadcrumbs in this bar. <laughs> uh, so what's in the the platinum passion? Uh, Rune champagne, passion fruit, honey, brown sugar, le spirit de cavassier. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, that bottle alone sells for around six thousand dollars. Um, so pretty, a pretty, pretty pricey uh, cocktail there. Pretty, um, although, pretty. <laughs> you tell me a little bit of If it weren't for the uh, the fact that you're drinking it in a specialty bar, you know, fifteen hundred bucks can buy yeah, about a quarter of a bottle of that very expensive. Fifteen hundred bucks, we could go on a cruise that we all want to go on. <laughs> fifteen hundred each, but yeah. Uh, then you have the Ritz Paris Sidecar. This is one of my favorite, actually, on the list. Uh, the Sidecar cocktail originated in the Hotel Ritz Paris, so it's no surprise that the hotel also claims the most expensive sidecar in the world and one of the top ten most expensive drinks in the world in addition to that. This equi- exquisite drink is made from cognac bottled between ni- uh, sorry, not 19, 1830 and 1870, making it one of the most 
old alcohols on the planet as well. Hmm. Next up on the list, uh, and that comes in at $1,670. Next up on the list is The Birth of an Icon. That's the name of the drink, actually. At <laughs> Skyview Bar, coming in at $4,000. Dubai, one of the most expensive cities in the Middle East. I was going to say, I'm surprised Dubai has not shown up more on this list. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I would actually say this is probably one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, the most perfect place to find a luxury cocktail. The Burj Al Arab Hotel, a cell-shaped building located in an artificial island, offers some strikingly costly beverages at its Skyview Bar. At the top of the list is The Birth of an Icon, priced at 1500 AED, a little over $4,000 American. According to the menu, the drink is majestically assembled in an iconic cocktail using the building blocks of the daiquiri. Yeah, okay. Those building blocks include St. Lucia Distillers, Nine Cast Founders Rum, Fresh Lime Juice, and Signature Gold Dust made from dehydrated Controy. Oh my gosh. It sounded actually kind of tasty <laughs> until you got to the last part, and I was like, seriously? This is... I can taste your distaste. Yeah. All I'm saying is at a certain point, I I start to understand communists. <laughs> like, this is the episode that makes me go, you know what? Maybe Lennon wasn't all wrong. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the cocktail that is billed as the world's most expensive cocktail is at GG's. Comes in at $10,006. Yes, 2006 because just a straight 10000 wasn't enough. Sure. You have to travel to London to find out what is now being billed as the world's most expensive cocktail. 888, sorry, 8,888 euros, or a little over 10 grand in today's exchange rate. May not be exactly true, but close enough, right? Gigi's is a restaurant on the Mayfair neighborhood, created the drink Grace Jones, combining 1990, really? 1990 vintage Cristal? <laughs> okay, and then here's here's where the priciness comes in. 1888, Semelin's VA Relique, vintage base Armagnac. So, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, maybe, some cognac, Armagnac. You got to get a little bit of uh, Armagnac in there. Topped off with bits of gold leaf. Aren't they always? Of course, right? Yeah. Yes. Now... Um, if you want to talk about what the Guinness Book of World Records actually calls the most expensive uh, drink in the world, you've got an Australian bartender who set that record with the most expensive cocktail in 2013. Drink sold for 12500 Australian dollars, about 12916 American dollars. So Club 23 bartender Joel Heffernan, of course, right? is responsible for the latest entry into the realm of outrageously expensive drinks, the price of the cocktail named... Winston, for Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. is so astronomically priced thanks to its two nips of 1858 Croisette Cognac, a bottle of the Cognac that has a $157,000 value and goes for $6,000 per shop. There are also some Grand Marnier Quintinescence, a little bit of that sprinkled in there, some Chartreuse uh, this, these words are way too long. Yeah. No sentiment, exceptionalmente prolonged. Yeah. Chartreuse, really... exceptionalmente prolonged. Prolonged is, is the really most appropriate expensive. word. <laughs> sure. You, you were saying that all of in my head. I was going, ah, <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. 
And if you haven't uh, had enough there, you've got a little bit of a dash of Angostura bitters available at six dollars uh, a pint, oh. and some other fancy touches <laughs> such as chocolate nutmeg dust. I love the idea that he's just like this, this, and screw it, some bitters. <laughs> right, you got to balance that cocktail. Out. You got to make it taste good at least. Yeah. Um, now, do you notice this guy's paying this much money? He knows that. There's there's also the unwritten ingredient, which is spit in this. <laughs> For all those listeners out there who are right now uh, vehemently writing a uh, uh, email to us currently and saying this is an outrage, my favorite cocktail that is outrageously expensive isn't on the list. Um, I left off a bunch of the cocktails that were just on the list because of their additional accoutrement the garnish the gold leaf and the rubies and gold and necklaces and whatnot but i did leave one on there the most expensive of them all the diamond is forever cocktail at twenty two thousand six hundred dollars um it comes with an 18 karat gold uh with one karat diamond precisely the contents of the cocktail um should be with with golden diamonds right at the top of this list uh, the Diamond is Forever is available at the Ritz-Carlton in Tokyo. It's a good uh, thing, too. The Grey Goose Vodka does not seem like the top-of-the-line vodka one would expect at this price. On the other hand, the Diamond itself runs you about $16,000, so there isn't much left over for the ingredients. <laughs> they get a little cheap on that side. Only two have been sold to date, with the price tag standing in the way of further sales. You'd probably expect that. The vodka with a lime twist and a diamond remains available in Tokyo's tallest hotel for those willing and possibly able. Just make sure you don't drink the diamond, right? No, no, I hope they do. (laughs) I hope they do, and they have to pass the diamond through their system. Uh, Because whoever has to clean out, like that janitor does, or, you know, that sewage treatment person deserves to find a diamond one day yeah at least one the size of a softball oh man all right i think that's uh so uh, that's what made me disgusted let, let's get into what we're drinking which i assure you is nowhere near any of the price ranges we talked about well one yes of them, it is one of them's don't right you on. lie to me i haven't filled in my paperwork yet on that part okay. so <laughs> okay. are you sure all right we'll we'll see where we go there <laughs> Drink with me, friend. Okay, so, like, ours was on the list and everything, but it was, like, compared to the hundreds of thousands of dollars some of the other stuff was, was I was like, you know... It was in my unreasonable but, like, understandable list. Because it's not about gold leaf and It was the most obtainable and probably one of the least... And it is. It's, like, the second least expensive thing on any of these lists. Oh, yeah. So we're we're drinking Utopias, BT Dubs. 2017 Utopias, uh, brewed by Sam Adams, Boston beer. So uh, yeah, 28 percent, 25 IBUs, 4.46 out of five on Beer Advocate. Yeah. And uh, if you want to know our thoughts and exactly what goes into this, go check out the Patreon episode. Yes, it's it. it I'll just say it's delicious. It's as good as I remembered for tasting for the first time. Um, I'm going to ask how that held up, because it's been, like, what, sitting in a vial somewhere? In a, in, in a mason jar. In a mason jar. Because uh, <laughs> we're classy. 
AF. That's why I was um, like, when I was pouring it, I was like, oh, yes, one of the most expensive beers in the world poured from a mason jar. <laughs> you know, there is nothing wrong with storing beer in a mason jar. It is airtight. True. It true. has all the needs that a, a beer has. The beer uh, is met there. Uh, Utopius is uncarbonated for those worrying. Yeah, oh, wouldn't it go flat good. out of its original? No, no. It, it was already flat. It was already. It's the basically worst... a port wine, so don't. Yeah, no, no worries. The worst thing you've got to worry about through that whole thing is is oxidation. And yeah. I think I tried to at least shake it a little bit and, and gas off with a little bit of that carbonation that it does have. Yeah, you did good. Um, it held up pretty well. It was well. just it as was... good, honest. I thought. I mean, cool. I, it, it was, was really <laughs> getting extra sweet. I've got to say, it was developing a real buttery character. I like that. If it didn't turn to vinegar, we're good. Oh, yeah. No, no there was no none of that. So, But, yeah, it's gone now. Uh, <laughs> it's all gone. I'm sad. It's all, it's all gone. I want that all the time. Justin, what were you uh, thinking? You guys could have had some of what I have left over. Sorry, what we got. Because uh, I have the Goose Island uh, Reserve Bourbon, uh, Bourbon County uh, brand stout mm. from Goose Island. It's a barrel-aged stout. It's at 14.8%. Mm. It's about 60 IBUs. It's a beer advocate, beer advocate score of a 4.61 out of 5. I don't think we actually talked specifically about the reserve when we did our Bourbon County vertical. We yeah, not. we didn't do it in there. Yeah. Uh, we should have. That may have been an oversight by us, but we kept it to the base. Yeah. Uh, it is very chocolatey. It is... Very boozy. Um, mm-hmm. It's a brewer description. Uh, it's really long and kind of. We you get can it. Look yeah, it up. I, I, I kind of wanted to say it, but at the same time, it's like no. Like the, the the special thing about this is it, it was aged uh, a, a long time in Knob Creek barrels. Eleven year old Knob Creek barrels. It says uh, yes. There was for used for a small batch. Yes. Bourbons. Yes. Sorry, I shouldn't see if they said how long, but yeah, it was aged, uh, aged in eleven-year-old Knob Creek barrels. Um, it is too much. That is my actual thing. Like, <laughs> it is, it is too much to try to do a whole bottle of that by yourself. Oh God, yeah. It's a bit. Yeah, like, the on Black Friday, I think we uh, three of us. Split yeah, we, we had a, definitely split it. Split a bottle, and that was a fine split. <laughs> yeah, I've split this bottle with some other friends before, and it's great to share <laughs> it is daunting to try to drink it by yourself like i'm like i was like oh we'll do another little no i'm actually full like you'll be <laughs> on the floor and like not an like hour. oh i like no it's it's taken up room in my stomach more than what i swallowed it's like no we're done here <laughs> we're cutting you off for your own good and i'm like okay no to be fair i've got to, after it reminded me why i like uh Bourbon County brand stout after mm-hmm. having so many other bourbon barrel stouts over the years. And then you go back to uh, the bourbon, the, like the base bourbon County brand stout. And you're like, it's just not what I remembered. And then trying that. And then that just, it punched it back up to what your memory was saying it was. And it, yeah, so you're like, this is what I remember because when you were first getting into craft and you're landing your first whale beer, like this brings you back to that feeling of oh all the coffee the chocolate everything oh it's so big it's so great yeah and it is it's just too much for one person 
Yeah. If you have this, make sure to share it with friends. Yeah, and that oh, one yeah. uh, was only available in Kentucky and the city of Chicago. All right, Casey. So with the luxe and luxury that we've been talking about this entire time, I could go with the most expensive cocktail, which is those cocktails you have to buy at a hotel bar, right? Hmm. But what I have went with is one of the cheapest drinks that you can get. Oh, granddad, straight. The Evan Williams bottled the bond that we talked about last week. <laughs> I came real close to breaking that out this episode too, going like, you know what? I kind of just want some bourbon. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is a tasty bourbon. And so after drinking a, uh, a it is a that, taste, it <laughs> is a tasty bourbon. After uh, having a cocktail that would have cost $16 if it weren't for the fact that I had like a drink token, um, I have a an inexpensive, 100-proof, very good bourbon that probably tastes just as good as any of those you know, $1,600 um, drinks that are out there. If not better. Hmm. If not better, because I don't have to be a millionaire to have it. Probably, the, uh, I think the only thing that might actually be better that comes in a fancy bottle is that, like, 40-year-age scotch. Oh, yeah. That might, yeah. Be, that might be pretty good. Okay, well. Maybe a little. I think this episode has made us all um, realize that a little disgusted, and, and if we had money, we wouldn't do any of this stuff, uh, I think. No, no, if I did. That's it how would, you have money. If I did, yeah. I'd be like the jackass that bought... Uh, the one bottle with five friends and then finished it at the bar. That's good that's, though. So like when it's like, uh, that's what, that's what, uh, we sh- if we ever got like a crazy amount of money with, with the Patreon and everything else, I'd be like, no, we buy the most expensive bottle we can find and go, all right, who wants it? Mm. <laughs> that's true. So you can visit us at com for useful links and info about us, the show, and more things that have to do with alcohol beverages. <laughs> also, look for Have a Drink Show on social media, twitch.tv and YouTube. Don't forget, don't forget you can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also leave feedback uh, on the website or through Twitter, Facebook, uh, Discord. Uh, you can also tell – you know what? I, I, someone, someone listening, tell me how angry some of these entries may have made you. <laughs> yes. I need someone else to, like, help feed my hatred for some of this because, no – there is a limit. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> all right, all joking fun aside, guys, I'd like to remind everyone, please drink responsibly. All right, so check us out next Saturday for our next live episode. And remember, of course, to check out patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price, and we shall see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>